The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture this morning is coming from Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52, and that's on page 847 if you're using the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. When you're ready, you can stand for the reading of God's word. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as you see, we are here at the very end of Mark chapter 10. Uh, We're drawing a conclusion now to this little sort of mini theme that Mark has been giving us in his gospel. Um, We've crossed the threshold of answering the question of who is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. He's the King. Peter has confessed this now. And on the heels of Peter confessing this back in Mark chapter 8, Mark really in a very rapid manner, turned that hard corner and began to answer the question for us, well, if this is who Jesus is, what did he come to do? And we've been saying clearly now for many, many, many weeks that Jesus is the Christ who came to die on the cross. It was just last week in Acts or in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that we get really the pinnacle, the epicenter of Mark's gospel where Mark tells us that Jesus who loved to refer to himself as the Son of Man, says about himself, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And if you remember this whole discipleship interlude, Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, where Mark is really drawing this theme to the surface of what does it look like to follow this kind of king, the king who came to die, what does it look like for us to lay ourselves down in submission, following him? He started this whole thing with a miracle healing of a blind man. It was a blind man who came to him wanting his sight. His friends brought him. If you remember, Jesus stuck out his hand, touched his eyes, healed him partly, The man said, I see people now walking around, but they look like trees. And Jesus said, okay, so he reaches out and touches him again, giving us an illustration of what it looks like to slowly move down that path of realizing who Jesus is and what he came to do. We need our spiritual eyes fully opened to see who Jesus is and what he came to do. And now here on the back end, like a sandwich Mark is turning our eyes once again to another blind man. And Jesus is going to show us something just as true 
concerning our spiritual blindness. As Mark is going to walk through that door, that question of what do you want me to do for you, forcing us to compare and contrast the blindness of Bartimaeus to the blindness of James and John that we saw last week. Because as we're going to see this morning, there is actually more than one blind man in this story. So let's pray. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to come to give us a eyes to see and mind to hear as we turn our attention to this last healing miracle of Christ before he rolls into his passion week here at the end of Mark. So let's pray. God, just the honest confession of my, of my heart is, uh, as the pastor, I'm not, I'm not able to make people see. I have no power to cause spiritually blind people to see. I've got no power to make ears truly hear. I've got no power to make minds comprehend the words of Christ on this page. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would come, that you would fill, that you would work. I am operating on the assumption that, this, that the devil, Satan, our enemy, is starting to roll into full tilt distraction mode right now causing our minds and our hearts and our emotions to just spread outward to thousands of things right now that we haven't thought about all week long, and right now they're just pressing for our attention. Bills, money, relationships, sickness, friends, that child that was unruly this morning, that text message from your boss that is just looking a little foreboding this coming week, the things that we just need to do today, let alone the things we need to do this coming week, these are all things that are now just like with hands reaching out, grasping and grabbing, reaching for our attention. And I'm asking that you, Holy Spirit, would come and cause us to focus on your word this morning so that we may see a clear picture of the son of David, the king who came to die as a ransom for many. God, help us in these ways. Holy Spirit, fill us and move with power. It's in the powerful name of Christ, the resurrected King, I pray. Amen. I want you to slip into imagination mode with me here on the front end before we, we roll into this text. Okay, so start, start fanning the flames of imagination. Some of us are probably, it's easy for us to just imagine, daydream a little bit. For some of us, it might be a little bit harder, but slip into imagination mode for a moment, and I want you to picture Jesus specifically asking you this question. What do you want me to do for you? So in your mind, go to that happy place of yours. All right, maybe it's the front porch, maybe it's the porch swing in your backyard, maybe it's a hiking trail somewhere. Maybe it's at the dinner table or that cozy little corner of the couch. There you are drinking some coffee. Maybe you're sipping on a little bit of tea. 
Next thing you know, you look out the window and there's just Jesus walking down the sidewalk. He's coming for a visit. You love these times with Jesus. He knocks on the door, you let him in, you guys go to that little happy place and you start chatting it up. The conversation's phenomenal. You're having a great time, you're just laughing, you're joking. The conversation comes to a lull and maybe at that moment Jesus just has a little bit of a smile on his face because some of the things that you're saying and he just takes a, a slight turn in the conversation and the next thing you know Jesus drops this question right on your lap. What do you want me to do for you? This is Jesus. The compassionate shepherd, the Lord of glory, the sovereign creator, the one who has a care for you, the one who's sustaining the world right now with the strength and the power of his might. There he is looking at you with all sincerity in his words, and he's asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? Do you immediately stumble out of the gate because you just honestly struggle to believe that Jesus really wants to hear your answer? I mean, does Jesus really want to hear the desires of my heart? I remember the first time that I was sort of forced to wrestle with this question. It's like I sort of had that hitch in my soul. Like, I, I don't know that. Like, like does Jesus, this is legit? Like, can I just answer this in the way that I sort of want to answer? Or do I need to get, like, the churchified answer right now to Jesus? Right? We all have desires of the heart, and Jesus is asking a desire-revealing question. What do you want me to do for you right now? It's like, do I, like, have the all rights right now just to go, like, and, like, tell him what I want And so you struggle with that. I mean, you're honestly stumbling, struggling to believe whether you can really just be honest with your desires. For some of us, if Jesus were to ask you that question, what do you want me to do for you, here's what you would do. you go, man, like this is the exact opportunity I've been waiting for my whole life, man. Because you see Jesus as sort of a genie in the bottle. And so Jesus asks you that question, and you're like, man, finally, Jesus. You roll off this big, long laundry list of things you want him to do for you. Because Jesus just merely exists to serve you. But for others of us, perhaps what you begin to do is you just hold your tongue when Jesus asks you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Because you realize in that very moment the probing nature of that kind of question. That when someone asks you this question, what do you want me to do for you, especially from Jesus, you understand that that question is like an arrow that cuts straight into the far dark corners of your heart. And you know that if Jesus were to sit down and ask me, what do you want me to do for you? And I began to answer that question, Jesus, I want you to do fill in the blank. You in a nanosecond begin to realize all the things that I'm going to start filling into the blank, they are just straight up self-serving desires. And this question has began to reveal just how me-centered I truly am. So how would you answer that question if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it's this very question that we once again find Jesus asking somebody in the Bible. It was just last week, if you remember, James and John were asked this question. Jesus came to them asking 
What do you want me to do for you? They said, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left this morning, revealing they had a desire for greatness, but it was a desire that was a little off kilter. It was wrongly ordered in light of who Jesus is. And last week we addressed that idea of how Jesus delights to hear our desires. But just because we express those raw desires of our heart and doesn't mean that Jesus is just always going to pat us on the back and go, go hog wild with them. Jesus loves us enough to correct desires that are off course. But now this morning what Jesus is going to do is he's going to come and he's going to ask this exact same question to a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And ultimately, it's this one question, what do you want me to do for you, which connects these two episodes together, the episode of James and John, and then Mark stitches this episode with Jesus and blind Bartimaeus together, and the thread that Mark is using to stitch these two episodes together is this question, what do you want me to do for you? And the reason why Mark is stitching these two episodes together with this one particular question is because Mark wants to force us to think about a comparison that's taking place. A comparison of contrasting blindness. You see, as we will soon learn from our text this morning, there is just simply more than one blind man in our text. You see, it's true that Bartimaeus, he's the one who is physically blind in our verses this morning, but he is actually going to prove himself to be the one with genuine sight. While those in the crowd, including the disciples around Bartimaeus, are those who actually have physical sight, but they're the ones who are going to prove themselves to be genuinely blind to who Jesus is. And so Mark is saying, guys, I want you to pay attention here, and I, you need to see something. There's a blindness going on here. And Jesus is going to take up this issue of spiritual blindness. So what Mark's going to do is he's going to call our attention to this first issue of contrasting blindness by turning us to the cry of a blind man. The cry of a blind man. You see that in verses 46, 47, and 48. So if you look in your copy of Scripture, starting off in verse 46, Mark writes that Jesus and the disciples came to Jericho. Remember, last week we learned that Jesus is making a beeline to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11, we're literally right on the verge of Mark chapter 11. Mark is taking us right into like the last living days of Christ. Jesus knows what is coming his way for three times now. He's declared, I must go to Jerusalem, I must suffer, I must die, I must rise again. And as he's heading to Jerusalem, he's going to cut through the town of Jericho. And this is exactly where Jesus is. And Mark tells us that as he was leaving Jericho... So he's on the backside now with his disciples. There's this gigantic crowd of people that are with him. What we find is that Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, who is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So again, last week we said that Jesus is the servant savior who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He is going there to give his life as a payment for the sins of many. 
And as Mark describes this journey to Jerusalem, there's this building atmosphere, there's this electric expectancy that is going on in the crowd, in the minds of the people. Luke goes so far to tell us in Luke chapter 19 that because Jesus was so near to Jerusalem and the Passover celebration is literally right on its edge, what you have is this this air of expectation that because Jesus was so near to Jerusalem and heading to Jerusalem that many had supposed, Luke says, that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so there's this vibe in the crowd and in all the side conversations of people as they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, one of the greatest annual feasts in the Jewish calendar. What you have is this Jewish rabbi who has been teaching with authority, healing with authority, moving with power, doing things that can only be attributable to God. And now it's just sort of come and built up to this climax, and here he is going to Jerusalem. It's like he's right on the doorstep of Jerusalem and there's this expectation and something huge is about to go down. There's this palpable sense that Jesus is going to accomplish something great. Just last week we saw that because of this palpable electric air of expectation, the disciples are amazed, the crowds are afraid. In short, this air is just simply buzzing with excitement as Jesus has his face set on Jerusalem. And it's here, as all of this is going on, Mark, filled by the Holy Spirit, says, don't focus on the crowd. Turn your attention over there to the corner. Because over there in the corner is somebody that you would least expect to get moved into the limelight, a blind beggar, a man named Bartimaeus. Now, it's interesting that we get his name here. In all of the healing miracles of Jesus, you never get the name of the person who's actually healed. But here, Mark tells us this guy's name is Bartimaeus. He tells us he's blind. He tells us he's a beggar. And being blind in the time of Jesus meant that um, you just didn't have much going for you. As a blind man, you held little to no value in society. And as a beggar, that just made his whole situation worse. The people of Jericho would have seen Bartimaeus as a blight on society. He was a taker. He was not a contributor. In the minds of many, he just flat out didn't matter. If anything, Bartimaeus was an inconvenience, a nuisance to be ignored. He had long since vanished into the background of Jericho life as people grew accustomed to ignoring this man. He sat at the gate day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. And people would have just gotten so used to Bartimaeus, it's like he would have just camouflaged into the background of Jericho life. And people just simply grew accustomed to that human being with a living soul stuck off in the corner begging for his livelihood And just would have gotten into the routine of totally dismissing Bartimaeus. So when you read this first verse, what you're supposed to come away with is, man, Bartimaeus was like in a really bad place. He didn't have a lot going for him. But the one thing Bartimaeus did have going for him in this instance was his location. Because Bartimaeus, we find out, is sitting by the roadside. 
And in Luke's gospel, we are told that hearing a crowd going by, Bartimaeus inquired as to what this meant. And then Mark says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he started to take a nap. It's not what it says. Bartimaeus, shoved off over into the corners of society and in the corners of life, begins to hear that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he begins to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. The hum of the crowd is rolling, man. It's full bore. People don't want to hear anything from Bartimaeus. The humdrum is at level 11. People are excited. We're going to Jerusalem. But over off in the far corners of the city of Jericho is this one man shouting at the top of his lungs. Now, we don't know what all Bartimaeus knew about Jesus. But what we do know is that for the first time in Mark's gospel, someone refers to Jesus as the son of David. This phrase, the son of David, shows up no other time up until now. Jesus will refer to himself as the son of David in Mark chapter 12. But when you go through and look at the ways that people have interacted with Jesus so far, nobody has stitched together and been able to say in Mark's gospel that Jesus is the son of David. Now, when you hear Bartimaeus screaming out this name for Jesus, the son of David, what you got to understand is that this is straight-up kingship language. Bartimaeus is basically over there going, The king! Have mercy! Hear my cry! The son of David language, it's a messianic title. It goes all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I I suggest you go read it. It's where God, the Lord God, makes a covenant with King David, ultimately telling King David, making a promise to King David that I'm going to raise up after you, David, a descendant who will come from your lineage, a person, a king, who will have the throne of his kingdom established forever. So when you go back into 2 Samuel chapter 7, you have God specifically saying, David, one day you're going to die, but what you need to know is that great David will have a greater son, and when that son shows up on the scene, this is the one all of our hopes are meant to be pinned on. And now what you have is a blind man in Jericho going, this is the guy, son of David. He's here. Somehow he is stitched together. He's put two and two together through all the stories that have been humming around. As a blind man, his ears would have been doing double duty for him, Bartimaeus. And you got to know that when you're relegated to the corners of society, what you do is you get to pick up on all the conversations that you think no one is hearing about. And what I'm positive is going on in Bartimaeus' world is that all of these healing miracles, all of these teachings, all of these acts of authority, all of this stuff that Jesus is doing, and it's this crisscrossing the roads of Israel, there's Bartimaeus hearing, 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 hearing. And all of a sudden, it's like, this guy's right in front of me right now. 
He's here right in front of me right now. And this, I, I'm, I'm drawing this conclusion. This man is no ordinary man. This man is great David's greater son. And for all I know, this can be the only opportunity I will ever get to have with Jesus. Bartimaeus is enveloped by the darkness of his blindness. He is utterly shackled by his poverty. He has no power to give himself sight. He cannot make himself wealthy. He is utterly dependent. He is totally needy. He has nothing to bring to the Savior except this one cry, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you skip down to verse 48. What you notice is that in due order, in light of Bartimaeus crying out for Jesus to have mercy on him, that the Jesus entourage enters the scene and they promptly begin to rebuke Bartimaeus for calling out to Jesus. They tell him to be silent. Jesus! Shut up. Son of David, be quiet. Have mercy on me. Boy, you're going to need some mercy if you don't be quiet. Jesus, mercy, son of David. And that's, there's this humdrum in this crowd. You've got Bartimaeus just bawling out for the son of David to have mercy on him. You've got the crowd beginning to get angry because for for them, Bartimaeus, the only value he has is the value of being a nuisance. He has the value of just simply being someone who needs to be ignored. You see, Bartimaeus was on the outside crowd. All of the Jesus entourage, they were on the inside crowd. Bartimaeus was a nobody to be avoided, but they saw themselves because they were part of the in crowd, the Jesus crew, the Jesus entourage. They saw themselves as somebody's to be applauded. And so when Bartimaeus begins to bawl out for Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on me, what they do is they begin to to act this way, a rebuking way towards this one calling out to Jesus, proving that it's possible to be so consumed with Jesus that we actually become a barrier to those who need Jesus. Do you see what's going on there? Here's the Jesus crew. Hopefully, having learned the lesson from last week that the servant Savior calls us to be servant slaves... So that those who are spiritually blind, right, start stitching the two stories together now. So that those who are spiritually blind around us can be served in the name of Christ because we have ultimately been served by Christ. And we are meant to be the Jesus people, the Jesus crew, who are meant to go and serve others. So that those who are going, Jesus, mercy, I'm blind, I want to see. We would go back, come on. I know the guy who can help us see. But here what we have are the Jesus people going, shut up, man. Like, after all, we're trying to get to Jerusalem. We're part of the Jesus crew. We're, we're, don't, don't slow us down. Don't nuisance man. Go over there and be a nuisance by yourself. We are busy trying to be part of the in crowd with the Jesus stuff. And what you get is this little glimpse again that as these people are so encapsulated by the, the, 
this overarching electric expectancy that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to rise again, and all these things. Here's this man begging for Jesus to have mercy on him. And it's like, hey, go, go somewhere else. After all, we're trying to be busy with the Jesus stuff over here. And you have people proving that it's possible to be so consumed with Jesus that we actually become a barrier to those who need Jesus. Have you ever been in this place before, or is it just me? Have you find yourself getting upset with those people in your world that need Jesus? And whether you confess it or not, you just sort of chalk them up as a nuisance. I mean, if you just go into your workplace, they're all around you. In your neighborhood, you have friends, you have coworkers, spiritually blind, stumbling around in the darkness of sin. They're spiritually blind even though they have eyes to see. Some of them might even be shouting in various ways, in various forms, whether it's in conversations or whether it's things they post on Facebook or whether it is side conversations that you have with people. They're shouting, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But there we are, like the crowd in Mark 10, shouting for others to be silent because we see them as a nuisance to our perfectly manicured Jesus schedule that we would just rather not have interrupted. So your coworker comes over, your neighbor crosses the street, you can just tell something's up. The cry of his soul is, man, I need someone who can show me mercy right now. But then what we just do is realize, man, if I have to stop right now and I have to have this conversation right now, if I have to invite him into my house right now, if I have to slow down right now, if I cannot get what I need to get done right now, this is going to be a nuisance, this is going to be an inconvenience. And so what we do is we become, unfortunately, like the crowd in Mark chapter 10, and we brush them off because, hey, man, bro, I'm busy with the Jesus stuff right now. And then we mosey on down the line. But notice that the rebuke of the crowd, it's just not going to silence Bartimaeus, man. Bartimaeus knows what he wants because Bartimaeus knows what he needs. He desires mercy because he knows he is helpless in a hopeless condition. So verse 48, he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now what this does is this sets us up to move from the cry of a beggar to the call of the king. Because this is exactly what Jesus does in response to the cry of Bartimaeus. Do you see it there? Verse 49, Mark writes that Jesus stopped, which is just grace upon grace. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So here's the king of glory now calling the least the guy that's been disregarded by everybody. And in a pathetic turn of irony, the people that were just yelling, shut up, now say, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. It's like, man, some <laughs> sometimes don't you just sort of wish Jesus would be like, Tsh. man, you guys are just telling the guy to shut up two seconds ago, and now all of a sudden, take heart. 
He's calling you. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I was really going to try to get to that place to where I was going to tell you it's okay to come. But, like, first I sort of felt the need to tell you to shut. It's like Jesus is like, no, man, you never stop. I want you to call him. I want you to call him. See, I love it when King Jesus speaks because when he speaks, things get done. In an instant, the crowd changes their tune as the son of David issues the royal decree. We are slowing down, and I'm telling you right now, call that man. And so what they do is they obey it. They go and they call Bartimaeus. And immediately the crowd goes from shut up to get up. Take heart, the king is calling you. Look at verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus springs up and came to Jesus. Man, that would be a sight to see. The guy's blind, remember. So like if Jesus is just tooling down Main Avenue here on, in Jericho and Bartimaeus is over here in the corner, right? Can't you just see it? Like all of a sudden he's just, he's just shouting, he's just screaming, Son of David, have mercy, I, I need you to come. And all of a sudden, like right, the crowd sort of hushes down. It's, I think I just heard Jesus say, call him. And then the people come over and go, call him. Take heart, get up. I mean, can't you just see it? He's just ripping off and she's like, like, he's just moving, man. Like, I've I got to get there. I don't know how to get there. And he just takes off, and he's just moving towards that voice. Blind. Man, I've got to get there. Throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus springs up and comes to Jesus. He comes running into the presence of the king. And the reason why he comes running into the presence of the king is because the king had called him. And the only proper response to the call of the king is to throw aside whatever is hindering you, hindering you, and you make a beeline into the presence of the king. And so Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, man, ain't nothing going to be stopping me from getting over there into the presence of the king. The king has called me. And then Jesus offers this man, notice, the same powerful question that he gave to James and John, verse 51. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it sort of seems like an obvious question, and you're like, you're over here scratching your chin going, look, the dude's blind. I'm pretty sure we all know the answer to this question, don't we? <laughs> but yet Jesus asks the question. Because Jesus loves us. And he's wanting us to articulate to him just the desires of our heart. He already knows the desires of our heart, but he, he loves us enough to be deep and intimate in relationship with us. And so he asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Prompting the blind man to say, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Some of your translations might say, teacher, I want to see. That's desire language. This is what I want. I want to see. See, I just love how this question cuts straight to the heart of the matter. When Jesus asked James and John this question, it revealed their desire to be great. That's what they wanted. But in the end, we learned that it was a self-serving desire for the best seats in God's kingdom. Remember that whole thing? Let us sit at your right hand and in your left hand and in your kingdom. Uh, of course, for your glory. It's, it's your glory, right? Aren't we supposed to tack that on to the end of the sentence to somehow justify this self-serving desire that we have? So Jesus asks him the question, it, it reveals that James and John had fallen into the James chapter 4 verse 3 trap, which says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
So there's James and John asking the question, we want greatness, we want influence, but what we learn is that they do not receive what they had asked because they are asking wrongly in light of who Jesus is. They wanted their desire so they could spend it on themselves. But for Bartimaeus, this question revealed a desire for mercy that was grounded in a need that could only be met by King Jesus. Bartimaeus found himself in the reverse of James chapter 4, verse 3, where you ask and do receive because you ask rightly not to spend it on your passions. You see, the desires of our heart are meant to be rightly ordered according to who Jesus is. And for Bartimaeus, Jesus is the son of David who gives mercy to those who see their need. Like This is just the whole, the whole main idea of our whole, our whole text this morning. Jesus is the son of David who gives mercy to those who see their need. And for Bartimaeus, this is exactly where he was. Bartimaeus knew exactly what he wanted because he knew exactly what he needed. And he actually sees what everyone else in the story is missing. And seeing his need clearly, even though he was physically blind, is what drove him to the son of David, believing that Jesus was able to do what he actually asked. And so Jesus says to him there in verse 52, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Not because the man's faith was the key to his cure, but because his faith was the means by which he received the cure from Jesus. And so Mark tells us that immediately he recovered his sight, and I love this phrase, followed him on the way. What's the proper response to spiritual blindness being turned into spiritual sight? It's to rise up and to follow the king. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus does. Grace doesn't lead him to go, well, glad I got that thing out of the way and then just completely bail on Jesus. Grace, mercy from the king, opening his eyes, healing his blindness, so stitches his heart to the grace giver that he says, I'm following this guy. That's the mark of a true disciple. Following the king having been a recipient of grace. And so when you boil it all down, what I love about this episode is that when it comes down to it, you just see this, that Jesus had time for those who were in need. Or to put it another way, the spiritual blindness of those around Jesus, it wasn't a nuisance. Remember, Jesus is the servant Savior. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one anointed with the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor. He was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Isaiah chapter 61. This is what the servant Savior does. He comes, he proclaims good news. He comes, he proclaims liberty to the captives. Bartimaeus was a captive. He comes with the recovering of the sight to the blind. Jesus established those realities physically as we see him healing blind men. But Jesus more ultimately does it 
in healing the spiritual blindness of every man or woman who comes to him in faith, Jesus is the king who has the power to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the reason why he has the power to set at liberty those who are held captive is because he is the king who will give his life as a ransom for many. His life is going to be the payment that will be able to set captives free. This is what a servant savior does, and this most definitely includes someone as inconvenient as Bartimaeus. And good news for you and me, because we are Bartimaeus. We're Bartimaeus. You see, like Bartimaeus, we are all blind until Jesus gives us sight. We were poor beggars until Jesus saved us as our ransom. We brought to him nothing. We brought to him weakness. We brought to him need. And he graced us with his power and mercy. This is the amazing grace of the king. That anyone who comes to him in faith, crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, has the promise of receiving the king's mercy. So I wonder... Have you ever come to Jesus with this request? Do you hear the request of Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever come to Jesus with this request? With a sense of deep-seated need, have you ever come to Jesus asking for mercy? Because if you're here this morning and you're spiritually blind, what you need is the mercy of King Jesus. The blind can't open their eyes. The blind have no power to say, I am now choosing to see. What we need is a sovereign king who has the power with compassion to hear our pleas and to mercifully give us eyes to see. So I'm asking you, as someone who is not following Jesus, have you ever seen your need like Bartimaeus saw his need? Have you ever come to the conclusion, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to fix my blindness like Bartimaeus was able to draw that conclusion? Have you ever come to the place where you make a beeline to the only one that can actually heal your blindness like Bartimaeus did? Have you ever come to the place where you've called out to him, son of David, have mercy on me like Bartimaeus did? Have you ever run to him, springing up, making a beeline to him because you know he's the only one who can heal my spiritual blindness? And when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You're like, man, I know this. I need mercy. That's what I want you to do for me. I want you to open my eyes so I can see, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done that before? Now, the same is true for those of us who've had our eyes opened by the sovereign power of King Jesus. You see, you never outstrip your need for the gracious mercy of Jesus. You never outstrip your need for the gracious mercy of Jesus. It's not like I was once blind. God opened my eyes to see how blind I really was, so I go running like Bartimaeus to the son of David, and I said, son of David, have mercy on me. The son of David had mercy on me. He saved me. 
And then we go, well, that's done and over with. And we just go strolling through life, pitching the grace and mercy out the back door. That, I got in by grace and mercy. Do I really need grace and mercy the rest of my life? It's like, yeah, man, you need grace and mercy for the rest of your life. So I'm just asking you, just in the daily to and fro of life, and the choices you make, the desires of your heart, the way that you think, the way that you're crunching life. When was the last time you were driven to your knees? You're like, I need mercy. I need grace. Because wherever you are this morning on that spectrum of, man, I have never asked Jesus for mercy, like saving mercy, saving grace, or you're over here on this end of the spectrum where you're like, I know that I have come to Christ. I know I have expressed the desire of my soul for the sight, spiritual sight. I've asked for mercy. Jesus has graciously asked me and granted that mercy. No matter where you are on that spectrum, the call for you is the same call of the, that we hear Here in verse 49 is take heart. Get up. He's calling you. He's calling you. Take heart. You can know mercy. Some of your translations go cheer up. Be joy-filled. No happiness. It can be found. Get up. Run to him. Throw off whatever is hindering you. Throw off the cloak of sin. Spring up. Come to him. Because when you come to him and he looks at you and says, what do you want me to do for you? And you're like, I need mercy. He's not going to go, get out of here. He's going to go, you want mercy? Well, I'm in the department of giving out mercy because I'm the servant savior who came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I love giving out mercy, man. He's like, that's a mercy parade, man. He's just raining down mercy candy. It's never ending. Get up. Take heart. Jesus is calling you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come and do a work in us that only you can do. That you would work in us in a way that truly opens our eyes to see our deep-seated need for mercy. That is not a prayer request for those who don't know Jesus. That is a prayer request even for those of us who do know Jesus. We never outstrip our deep-seated need for mercy. So, Father, as you work in us this morning, take my words, and my prayers is simply this, is that somewhere in this exposition of the text that there is one nugget of truth that is just lingering in this text that you are going to specifically apply by the power of the Holy Spirit and that as we think on these things in our time of response right now, what we would do is move in obedience to the prompting, calling of the King. God, help us in these things. For your name, for your glory. Amen.